We're in this series, you'll see how it ties in this morning. We're in this series of James about real faith. And when you see people sacrificing time and prayer and resources to impact others for Christ, that's real faith. And we're going to continue this morning with that same type of focus is what does real faith look like as we invest our resources and who we are, all of our gifts in the Lord. But let me start by asking you a question to kind of set up the teaching. If I said, you know, we want to build some more steps up here or, you know, extend the stage or something like that. And I said, okay, we got the plywood all cut, got the two by fours, we got the nails. I think we're set to go. Those three things are all we need, right? Plywood, two by fours, nails. But we need a how do you put all that together? One primary tool. Help me out. Is there a builder in here? Okay. I mean, you need a hammer. The nails aren't just going to, you can't drive them in with your wrist or your, your fist, right? You've got to have a hammer. There's a special tool that's needed to construct with those types of supplies. A screwdriver would be very frustrating and you wouldn't get very far, right? Money is a neutral thing. The love of money is the root of all evil. Many evils that plunge men into all kinds of disorder, Scripture says. Money itself is neutral. It's a tool. It's like that hammer. If it's used properly, it can produce and it can construct and it can make something beautiful. And we're going to be talking a little bit about wealth today. It just comes up kind of naturally as we go through James. And it just was kind of a good week to let you guys know how we've been faithful. Um, we're going to see another side to wealth, though, and the challenge of what it might look like if people were unfaithful with their wealth. So grab your Bibles and open up to James chapter 5, starting in verse 1. And we see as we go through this whole book, this circular way that James has written the book. And maybe you've noticed, you know, he talks about the tongue or your speech a couple different times in the book, right? And you see that theme and you hear about it again. You're like, wait, didn't we talk about that earlier in the book? And you're like, oh yeah, we did. Or generosity. And you see, wow, we're supposed to take care of the orphans and the widows. And that's pure religion. And you see that coming up again, you know, in chapter two. And then you see it coming up again now. And you're just like, wow, there must be something about repetition that God knows we need. And I thank him for that because there's certain things that really declare the heart of God that we can't miss if we claim to be his followers. So today is one of those kind of messages where it's, it's just taking what we've been hearing about in James already and it just kind of drives it down a little bit deeper so that we walk from here with truth that's going to actually bear out in action. So grab your Bibles, open up to James chapter 5 verse 1. And it reads like this, Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. It's pretty blunt language, right? Have you kind of gotten used to James by now? It doesn't surprise me anymore. You know, you go kind of verse by verse, chapter by chapter, and you go like, he's just really straight up about the reality 
of what God is like and as his followers, what we're to be like. So it's kind of hard to miss this language, is it? isn't it? It's just kind of clear that you can use your wealth in a just well or an, or way or an unjust way. And he specifically is calling out the rich that are using their riches, their money, the blessings of God in an unrighteous and unholy way. Now, you know, this book was written for the dispersed Christians after, you know, <clears throat> the Roman Empire did not like Jesus. They hung him on a cross, right? Those that were following Christ in that first century church were persecuted and they were chased from their workplaces and their homes and they fled for, literally for their lives. And they started to take up life in different parts of the Roman Empire where there was really equal persecution, but not as strong as was in Jerusalem. They were around many people that did not have a God focus or were God worshipers or God fears. They were pagan and they lived for indulgence. They lived for wealth. They lived for what money could do for them. And so he has them in view. And, you know, there's, there's a difference in commentators as whether this is really aimed at the Christians or those that they're around or the culture. And I think it's a both end. And I think it serves as a great warning to us because we're in a very affluent society, a very affluent culture, right? Do you realize sitting here today, because you're well-clothed, because you drove here in a car from a home or an apartment where there's good shelter that's full of food that you might go home and eat or you might actually go out to a restaurant and eat other food that you purchase, that you have lots of things that fill those cars and those homes. You might even have an additional home or you might have even lots of other toys that can't fit in your house. Do you realize that you and I are among the top 5% of the earth's inhabitants when it comes to wealth? We are wealthy. We're not just wealthy, again, in, in the things that we could measure here, but we think about all the blessings of God through our entire life and what we have now. And it's not just that we don't buy a car and ours is five years old. Well, we'd really be wealthy if we could have just gone out and bought that new car. Well, maybe you did or maybe you didn't, but still, in comparison, you have been blessed incredibly. And so we take these words to heart because we're in a very affluent country and a very affluent part of the country, one of the most affluent parts of the state. We have been given a lot. And in that context, with that kind of framework, let's take these verses and these truths to heart. Jesus wants us to understand what it means to handle his money that he's blessed us with in a proper God-honoring way. And through James, God gives us some strong language. They say they laid up their treasure for themselves. Their riches have rotted. Their garments are moth-eaten. Their gold and silver is corroded. They condemned and murdered the righteous person who did not fight back. Probably many of those that mowed their, their fields or harvested for them or worked for them. They had so much money they could hire others. They didn't even pay them what was their rightful due. And then they even hurt them to get ahead or would murder them. He says, all of this is evidence against them. But, and this is the good news, the cries of the harvesters have reached the Lord of hosts. The just one has heard their cries. So God knows they've been forgotten, they've been mistreated, that there wasn't justice or fairness given to them. But God doesn't miss a beat, and he loves everyone that he's created in his own likeness. In ages past, and those that live on this earth today, he loves them each, and he loves you, and he loves me, and he cares that justice and righteousness goes out to them. But instead, 
The unjust wealthy were concerned with just themselves. But the Lord heard the cries of the righteous. He said, misery is coming for them, for the unjust wealthy, that they've fattened themselves for a day of slaughter, that their flesh will be eaten like fire, and there is a day of judgment, a day of reckoning before the righteous judge, before whom we must all give account. You hear all that. Gets your attention, doesn't it? You just go like, wow, God is, is so straight about who, who he is and what he's like, that his heart is for the people in this world that don't get the fairness and the justice that they're due, that God cares and God sees them, that he hears every cry, he sees every, every situation, he, he collects their tears, he knows the hurts that they're experiencing, even at the hands of those that have so much to do something about it. And he lays that out as an incredible contrast to what you and I should be like as followers of Christ that share his heart. So this morning is really only about one point, and here it is. We are called to bring justice to the afflicted and help to the poor. As we take the gospel of Christ out, which we say is about God's righteousness and justice and mercy and forgiveness for all people that they could be forgiven and come to him, right? And it's that same justice and mercy and righteousness he wants us to keep bringing to people, regardless if they accept the message of Christ and are forgiven and have the hope of eternity in him. We hope that they do, but we keep modeling the message of his justice, of his righteousness, by caring for their very real needs right now. That's the point I hope we walk out with it today. You are called to bring justice to the afflicted and help to the poor. I am called to bring justice to the afflicted and help to the poor. Now, some of you may say, that sounds awfully social. Is this political? Is, what is this exactly? It's just like, no, it's just biblical. It's just God's heart. If other people want to rip God off and call it their own, call it some political cause, it came from God first. God's the one who cares for the poor. He's the one who made them to flourish. He's the one who wants justice and fairness and love and forgiveness to come to them. He's the merciful God. He is the one who sends the sun and the rain on the righteous and the wicked. He wants all people to come to him. It was God's idea first to love, right? He is love. And that we would respond to that love and have his love and his provision and then we would be just like him and let it flow from our fullness and blessing to other people. How do we know that? Well, Psalm 89 says this is exactly who God is and how he functions. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. You think of a throne, you think of a place of power, authority, and influence, right? God's throne, the ultimate power, ultimate authority and whose influence no one can stand against is righteousness and justice. That's his character. That's his heart. That's, that defines, if you will, it's the foundation of his power and how he makes decisions and goes about his will in the earth. And then we learn all through scripture, I mean, literally such a huge thread all through scripture from Genesis to maps, they say, right, to Revelation. All the way through, we see this generosity of God, the love that gets extended, whether it's received or thanked, you know, given thanks back to God or not. He's always like this. He's always displayed like this. In the Old Testament, the prophets 
So much of the time we're sent to warn the people you're straying from showing the love of God. You're enjoying it. Yeah, blessing. Look at all the blessing. Look at how I've rescued you. You know, even out of Egypt to the promised land. Look at the promised land. You're always enjoying it, but you're so often not giving it. You're withholding justice. You're, you're oppressing the poor. You're, you're charging people when they ask to borrow. You're taking advantage. The very people that are created just like you in God's image as well. You're mistreating and overlooking and marginalizing. How do we know that? Again, we see it all through scripture. One example is Isaiah. Right in the first chapter, God, through his prophet, to the people of God and to us today, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. So it's very clear that God wants his followers to stand for the very same things he and his throne, his heart, his character stand for, isn't it? You just can't miss it. It's just so simple. It's so clear. Learn it if you haven't learned it yet to do good. Go out and seek that justice comes to all people, not just yourself, because we're very concerned for that, that they treat us justly and then that product is just what we expected or that food or that vacation experience or that builder for our home. is. We want just, we always want the fairness. Go seek to provide that to those that don't have it. Correct the oppression that you witness. Step in, have a voice, bring justice to the fatherless. Plead, correct, bring, seek, learn. Action words to tell us to get busy for the things that matter most in this world. The way people experience life and God is what's most important. Seek out ways to right the wrongs that you see, the wrongs of oppression. Seek to right the wrongs that can demonstrate what Jesus is like in real terms, with real flesh on, in ways people can experience. Scripture here in James, it's already told us we got to be looking out for the orphans and the widows. Who's going to take care of them? We have to look out for those that get marginalized and left behind in our culture, regardless of what you think politicians should be doing or shouldn't be doing. Christians know what they should be doing, right? doesn't really matter what politics you claim. Should be out there. I should be out there caring for the people that are marginalized and oppressed and poor. It's a statement of what the gospel is actually like. It's actually what Christians should do. Because so often we think Christians is just a matter of a belief system and things you memorize or doctrines you agree to. And I'd say all that's awesome, important, and that's the foundation. But it issues in life. It issues forth in a transformed life that actually does those things. God, spare us from being a people that just know a lot about you but don't live like you. Look at this in Luke 12. Jesus gives a parable to make sure that we get it. So this is an interesting story about a very successful farmer. The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I'll tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, 
This night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Okay, so this guy just had a successful crop. So much, he had nowhere to put it. No thought of God, no thought of sharing, just more for me. This is awesome. I got to build bigger barns. Tear down the other ones, you guys. We got to store more for now, for the years to come, because it's time to party. It's basically what he's saying, right? It's time. Eat, drink, and be merry. Don't think about anyone else other than the ones that are going to help you party and lift you up and how successful you are and enjoy the indulgence, not looking to those with needs around, not looking to share or have the heart of God, not working God into the equation and thanking him. He says, people who live like that are fools. They haven't invested in God or a relationship with God and their soul is required of them. And they must stand before a holy God when they've lived an unholy life. We can't be about bigger barns, you guys. We can't be known as having so much and yet needing just a little bit more. We can't be known to feel like, you know, the blessing is all for us. I mean, isn't this great? Man, I mean, God just loves me so much. He just keeps pouring blessing and be a swamp that has, yeah, maybe some, some fresh water coming in, but it stagnates because it doesn't have an outlet. The tributaries have not gone out to refresh others in the world. And so it becomes a nasty, smelly, rank environment. It's not what God had in mind for his people. We also see this in James. Remember, I reminded you, James has just kind of folded in these truths and he kind of comes back around. And so back in chapter two, he brought this up. He says, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and be filled without giving them the things needed for the body. What good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Our faith, must result in actions of loving sacrifice or it's dead. It's actually non-existent. So I think sometimes people get fooled. They go, well, my, my faith, I guess, maybe how alive is it? Oh, it's kind of dead. You and I should ask ourselves the question, do we, have we ever had faith? Have we ever asked Christ to forgive us and come to our life? Has the Holy Spirit come in? Because the Holy Spirit comes in for real. Real? You're sealed in him. He doesn't come and go. He lives in you. You might be grieving him with the way you live, but does he live in you? Is this coming out your pores? Is, it, is he alive in you? If not, come to Christ. And today call out to the Lord of hosts that hears your cries and forgives your sin and keeps the self-indulgence, the, you know, the, all the stuff that we've been learning about in James away and more and more of the life of God coming through you. Have you experienced it? If not, Today is your day to come to real faith in Christ and have the Holy Spirit bringing about these loving and sacrificial actions. If they don't issue from your life, then ask yourself if you know Jesus yet. Again, today is the day of salvation where you can come and be transformed and then live a life that actually is transforming. Remember, these actions do not earn you salvation. You are saved by grace and grace alone that no man can boast. 
We don't try to clean up our act and be good enough for God. We don't try to go out and get crazy in the world doing all these things so that God will accept us. Our righteousness is as filthy rags before God. Only until we ask Christ to forgive us and come into our life does he cleanse us and give us a new heart, right? That's salvation. Don't get that confused. But real faith will issue itself in these kinds of actions. Loving, sacrificial actions, just like the God that you say you know, just like the Savior who loving and and sacrificially went to the cross, who cared and demonstrated what we're talking about here today, the righteousness and justice and mercy and forgiveness of God. He lived. And now we get to live. So it's a simple message. We're called to bring justice to the afflicted and help to the poor, just like our Father and His Son, Jesus. Just like the Holy Spirit has always been trying to bring about, but we've damned Him up. We've We've kept him from having full reign. We haven't yielded our heart to him or our will or our stuff. The blessing we've just kept in much of the time. But when you've let it out, you know how good it feels, right? Jesus is the one who said it's more blessed to give than receive. When you actually let the stream out and the blessings flowed into you and then out to others through you. It's the best way to live. You will be most alive and most free you will be more like who you were designed to be than at any other time. No, I work really hard at my job. So I'm, no, you're not more like God then. You're more like God as you're generous. If you work hard, awesome, to be able to have something to give. Then you're most like God when your heart is full of love and grace and extension toward others, just like Jesus. So here are a couple questions for each of us to really apply this message. Here's the first question. Do you have evidence of sacrifice and generosity in your life? Or do you have more evidence of luxury and self-indulgence? Maybe it'd be helpful of you to think of it like a scale. Sacrifice and generosity, luxury and self-indulgence. Which way is the is the scale tipping? Which way? The awesome thing is if you're actually honestly doing an inventory right now, you're alive in Christ. If you actually aren't just mad at me, you're actually thinking it through and not defending, well, is he saying I can't have a nice car? Is he saying we can't have vacations or I need to? If you're doing that, question, go a little deeper than that. You're like, why? why? Okay, I'm rich. I'm in that top 5% of the world's inhabitants. So, okay. So now let's look at that wealth that God has blessed me with. Is it tipping more towards self-indulgence and self, selfish ambition, comfort, luxury, me, more for me, just a little more for me, a little better food for me, a little better drink for me, a little more merry for me, a little more for me? Or is it really tipping? Is it starting to go toward the oppressed and the downtrodden and the marginalized and the poor around me, the hurting neighbor, the widow, the orphan, the person just went through a divorce, the person that needs a little extra love and care my showing the compassion of Christ? By getting involved in helping those that have been brutalized by whatever system out there? Good question. I pray you take it to heart and keep wrestling with it all week. Actually, all life, all your life. My evidencing sacrifice and generosity. Here's a second question Do you hear the cries? of those that are treated unfairly. 
do you see the desperation? Are you prepared to do anything about it? It's not just God that should hear the cries. These are people that live near us that we see in our world. These are hurting people all around us. Maybe across the street, you don't realize how much they're hurting until you get to know them. Maybe it's someone at work or in this community. Maybe it's someone down in the city or across an ocean. doesn't matter. Are you hearing the cries of those that are treated unfairly or are oppressed, forgotten, marginalized, set aside, ignored? Do you see the desperation of a life that's broken, that doesn't have hope, that doesn't know how they're getting out or getting on with life, out of the pit that they're in, thinking they are forgotten, they deserve to have the treatment or the experience that they're having? Are you seeing it with your heart? Are you prepared to do anything about it? What if we said, Lord, I want to do something more. Because if you're hearing me today and you're feeling convicted, that, again, that shows the Holy Spirit lives in your life. And instead of it feeling like, oh, this is so heavy, boy, he's guilting us into doing something, you would actually feel alive to say, maybe for the first time I need to live for the things of Christ like this. And if you've been doing it some, you're, you're going to be celebrating your heart like, I could actually do more. I could actually like step into this wholeheartedly. And, and you would be hoping that another 100 or 200 people in this service would join you in that because you realize, man, Christ is going to be so much brighter. I get to reflect him even more. And what if we did it together? And I wanted to give you some ways to really think this through practically and, and to act. If you give to Cornerstone, and I want to make something very, very clear. This message is not about what you give to Cornerstone. Praise God. You have been faithful and you met our budget. We're going to have another year. This is not about what you're giving to the church. You know what we do. That's already been said. It's about the love, the justice, the forgiveness, the grace of Christ coming out every pore in your life so that there's action related to your faith. Ways you can do that. Ministries that we do support, but you can get involved in directly. Children's Hunger Fund feeds poor children and families all around the world and is doing it now. In fact, they're in Peru right now addressing the needs because of all the floods going on there. Forever Found is a local ministry that helps rescue and rebuild in the name of the Lord. Women that have been rescued out of sex trafficking. And there's a ministry called Second Story, which is a secondhand store in Seeming. You can get involved in that. You can go do a garage sale, simplify, empty out your house, bring stuff there. Go help them. Go serve. Go, go just get involved. Being involved in the CPC that is trying to have a voice for the unborn and that they would come to Christ come you know, to life and then ultimately come to Christ, those families, those young children, that single mom or single dad or teenager that gives birth. What a ministry that is. Piedra, our way of reaching out to those that are less fortunate in our community, the Spanish speaking of our neighbors. You realize that, I don't know what our figure was last year, but probably somewhere in the neighborhood of ten dollars to $12,000 went through benevolence. So as people gave, you know, we have a benevolence fund and it meets needs of you guys and things that are going on in your life when something happens out of, you know, the ordinary and you just, you need that help. And we provide that. We have six missionary families. We have the Moore Park Food Pantry. Ways to literally get involved in your community, hurting needs and hurting people right now. And I want to challenge you 
that you got to have something. You got to have something. You can't look at a world of need all around you and just turn a deaf eye, stick your head back in the sand and go, well, at least I am a Christian. At least I know God. I don't know. Can you really say that? Can you really say it? I know God and I know his forgiveness. I know his love and he lives in me and not have these things that you're passionate about that you know you're doing that are yours. I want you to like own something. Like own, I go to Forever Found. I go to Second Story. I give money to this ministry. I support CPC. I go help Piedra. I pray for Mickey and Janet every single week when in about a half hour, they have a bunch of people that come in here that are Spanish speakers hearing the gospel. I have these orphans that I support. I know these widows. I mean, I'm, I am there for them. That is my way of applying this truth, Lord. And I want to do more. Give me other ideas, Lord. You can't be a person. I can't be a person that says, oh, this is for somebody else. I don't want to get my hands dirty or this is too big for me. I don't know. How would you deal with that big need in the world? I'm not asking you to tackle big needs in the world unless maybe you have that kind of influence. Just tackle a little small need in the world that's represented in a family or a person really live this out. And all of a sudden, the face of this church and the reflection of Christ as a light on a hill in this city and beyond will be completely different than it's even been to this point. Praise God for all we've done. But how much more could the Lord do if every single person locked arms and said, I have to be about rescuing the oppressed, helping the poor, reaching out to the marginalized, seeing with my heart the people that have need all around me. Lord, open my heart. What if we all said yes to living this truth out? Maybe it would require you to simplify your lifestyle, to free up more resources to share, or more time to get involved. Maybe it's time to go to a smaller barn. Whatever that would mean in your life. Maybe it's time to use a vacation and all you would spend on yourself. And I get, we all need breaks and time away and this and that. But boy, to have a serving vacation, to have something where you're looking to meet these kinds of needs that we've been talking about today, not your own. And in fact, then you get so filled up, you go like, well, how does that actually work, God? It's kind of torn. I should really give this time and this money to go on this trip or this mission, go to Yugo or help build that house or give some money toward it. And then look how you're just giving me so much peace and joy. I've never had this much joy before. So many of us look, well, I gave a thousand. Is God going to return the thousand now? Like, where's our head at? Lord, I gave this to you and it's going to help build that house. Awesome. I gave this to you through Forever Found. I'm giving you my time, Lord, in this ministry at Vintage where the elderly are cared for and we sing hymns and there's teaching and I'm giving it to you, Jesus, because you give it to me constantly. And I'm putting my life out there, my heart, my time, my resources. Huge. What if we actually did it and didn't just know about it? It's time to get busy with kingdom adventures. And they are adventures. They're so much fun. You learn so much. You see the impact of your love. It's not time to get cozy with more stuff. The stakes are too high, you guys. There's too much need in this world. This world needs to see Christians really on fire with this kind of love. Not with placards, not with positions, not with doctrines. They need to see love in action like this. And they're going to be really curious about the Jesus that's behind it, aren't they? And that's you and me. That's every one of us. I don't care if you're a teenager or you're 86. It doesn't matter. Because you can do something and the Lord will lead you.
So back to the beginning. Use money as a tool to become rich toward God. And if this helps you, get busy for the king, not cozy with the bling. Okay, does that work? Get busy for the king. Leave the bling to people who don't yet know God. Don't let that get in the way and suck all of your time and the best of who you are for yourself and self-indulgence and the bling of this world. Get excited about the king and his kingdom and his affairs and the way he wants to move his gospel forward through you. You'll be the most excited, fulfilled, joyous person on the planet the more you say yes to his plan and his will in your life. I think that's enough for today. What do you say? Now we have to pray it. We have to pray it out from our heart and then we have to live it out in our lives. So let's do that. Um, Prayer team, would you guys come on up and be ready just to pray for any needs that you have, any needs. You're praying for your neighbor. You're praying for the oppression you see in some area of the world or across the street or in the workplace. You're praying for whatever it is in your life or someone that you know. Please take advantage of the fact we have the prayer team here to believe in you and there's power in corporate prayer when we gather together. So come and pray. And the worship team is going to lead us as well. But today you might be here and you might not know Christ personally. You might not have experienced the fact that he was so just that he couldn't accept you being unjust in your sin. But Jesus came to take care of your injustice. That you were oppressed by sin and by the enemy and your own selfishness. But he came to forgive you and take that out of your life. And if that's you today, today is the day of salvation. Come pray with one of the prayer team to receive Christ. To receive the forgiveness that he offers you in the new life. To receive what we talked about earlier, the Holy Spirit of God living in you that actually then transforms you. Starts filling you with joy and anticipation for how you're going to minister in his name to people in this world that need to hear about Christ and feel it in their life. Come to Christ today, if you haven't already. And now let's have a prayer together. Thank you, Lord, for the repetition. The reminder today what your heart's really like. And Lord, that if we know you personally, and it's real faith, it's coming out. It's got to come out. Else our faith is dead. So Lord, it's going to come out because it's real. Because we trusted you, we've laid our heart before you. You've given us a new heart and this new hope. We're in this new kingdom now. We get to go represent the king and his kingdom. God, give us courage to do this. Boldness to make changes. Trust in your Holy Spirit to lead us where we get scared or something's unknown or we're just going to go be learners to do good or how to save and rescue and help others. Tough situations. Lord, send us out. Send us together too, out. Thank you, Lord, for all the ways that we are doing this. May they increase to lift the name of Christ and his gospel even higher.